You're listening to The Savings Tip Jar, hosted by Dom Beattie and Harrison Asprey. Powered by InfoChoice, your choice of financial news, guides and product comparison. G'day, how you doing? Yes, another episode of The Savings Tip Jar podcast uh, with myself, Dom Beattie. I'm back uh, from a little break away last week, but yes, back here ready to talk finance with the one and only Harrison Asprey. Sorry, I don't have a nice rhyming sobriquet for you. That's today, right. Because all the other ones you, you don't week. like, you complain to me about. So. I never complain. Just the miser from Mount Isa, you know. Oh, I love like, that one. That was my favourite. Like like besmirching the, the good people of Mount Isa <laughs> up there. Um, oh, no, just acknowledging your roots. But no, yeah, it's good to good to see you back. Thank um, you. After your little sojourn. Um, have you decided on a name yet for little oh. Dominic Jr.? Tarquin actually, Oliver Nimrod, maybe? Dom Jr. sounds pretty good, actually. I hadn't thought of that one. DJ. Uh, no, we've got a few a few candidates, but um, no, we haven't settled on one just yet. We're kind of waiting to see maybe what he looks like first. Mm. See, oh yeah, he looks like a Rasputin, a, a Tarquin, yeah. <laughs> Rasputin, an Adolf. Oh yeah, maybe not. No, that's that's no, one guy that no, ruined a name for us. Yes, maybe um, delete that from the podcast. Anyway, yeah. So you know, it's good to see you back in the studio. And without Thank further you. ado, shall we? Get into some news, some, yeah, some let's big, see. Some big figures. Let's, um, let's start the Get timer. Right? Start the timer, five minutes. Yeah, so uh, first cab off the rank, of course, is uh, the unemployment rate you might have seen, Dom, in your time off, uh, went up from 3.55% to 3.72%. And that's in lieu of wage mm. growth hitting the coveted 4% mark uh, on an annualised basis for the first time since the GFC. So, um, and it's actually on a quarterly basis. So in the three months to September, it's actually beating inflation. Oh, so there you go. 1.3 um, on the quarter versus 1.2% for the oh, headline CPI. Little, so little bit of growth there. A little bit of growth there. And that's off the back of um, you know, the fair work. Uh, wage increase, mm. uh, 5.75, and a lot of industries negotiating. Yeah, big, there were a few big, big one-offs packets. that month, mm. definitely. So, yeah, and then on the employment side too, um, a lot of volatility in there. 55,000 found employment and 28,000 found themselves without a job. So, yeah, what do you make of that? Yeah, well, I think um, the unemployment rate uh, picking up was, I think, what a lot of the economists had um, expected. I think I think some were saying yeah it would would go up to around three point seven. I think what surprised a lot of economists was that um, that fifty five thousand mm. um, employment number, so number of jobs created basically it was fifty five thousand. I think the the most optimistic prediction was twenty thousand that yeah. one of the big four bank economists had said. Um, but I did see someone explain that 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 um, big number could be because of uh, the the big referendum which we had. Yeah. Yeah. Which required obviously a lot of people to work on that day, uh, helping out with the, the vote counting and um, you know running all those voting booths and things like that. That's considered employment. So yeah. if you work um, one hour a week, you're employed. Apparently. Yes, that's it. So I think that perhaps you know that that bigger number maybe wasn't so reflective of um, you know the, the, the jobs market being in such hot shape i mean we have heard anecdotally a lot of you know um companies gone through restructuring at the moment um so there are some job losses starting to happen so you know i can see that unemployment number um continuing to, to come back up a little mm. bit i mean it's always funny around the the christmas time of year um 
where you do have, you know, a lot of Christmas casuals, you know, being employed by the, the retail outlets and things. So that could, you know, maybe bring the number down a little mm. bit or, or keep it stable, stop it going up. But uh, yeah, we'll see. But wage growth going up, I mean, well, that's good for, for the workers that uh, finally it's um, exceeding inflation. But I just wonder whether that, that is just a, a one-off for the, for the I quarter. I think it might be, yeah. Because of all those, those big um, um, bumps that, that happened because of fair work and whatnot. Mm. Um, moving on to another story. So in savings account land, uh, good to see we're, we're seeing um, some higher rates on savings accounts in the wake of the RBA rate hike, uh, but perhaps not as much as what people would have hoped. Obviously, the mm. RBA gone up by 25 basis points. Uh, we've seen some banks only putting up their higher rates by 15 basis points, such as Rabobank. Um, which has gone up to 5.75% per annum, um, and that's their top rate. But that higher rate of 5.75 only lasts for four months yep. um, before uh, that drops down to 4.4% per annum. But that does make it the uh, the uh, the highest rate available on the Aussie market right now, according to savings to use research. Mm. Um, but uh, we do we do are still waiting to see if ING will hike by the uh, the RBA's 25 basis points. Uh, but they usually, in months that the RBA have hiked, they have usually done so by now. Pretty quick so on the mark, it's yeah. not a great signs there. Yeah, for sure. Um, the ING ones are, is probably the, the biggest question mark in savings account land at the moment. Usually, um, you know, hiking on the Thursday or Friday or announcing they're hiking on the Thursday or Friday um, after the, an, an RBA announcement. And the highest rate, the highest ongoing rate rather, is still uh, MeBank's Home Me savings account with 5.55% per annum. Um, there's a few conditions to get there, but good to see generally some providers moving up rates, but mm. maybe not at the pace that a lot of a lot of uh, punters would have would have hoped. Mm-hmm. Um, and to move quickly now to um, the third news item is the ACT. Uh, the stamp duty threshold has been boosted in some circumstances. So uh, stamp duty exemptions for off the plan units and apartments in the capital have been extended. So the maximum value will go from 700k to 800k on the 27th of Mm. this month. So uh, yeah, and they're also trying to change zoning laws to try to boost housing supply. So but you know, you can't keep everyone happy. Critics have said it would be better to just remove stamp duty entirely, instead of doing this every now and Mm. again. Um, And a lot of uh, commentary suggested this is just, you know, helping sort of the construction industry and, and whatnot rather than uh, actual home buyers. But, you know, if you're buying a sort of Greenfields estate, it still could be a, a good um, good option there to see it boosted, mm. which means less less tax dollars going to the government. Uh, and that's the time up, but we'll give a bit of a brief spiel. Oh, oh well, yeah, uh, just, just quickly on that one. Um, I think, yeah, obviously it's, it's being applied specifically for off-the-plan units and apartments. So it's all about... I think encouraging more people to, um, yeah, to, to buy new, newly built, uh, which is why we see, you know, so many of the um, first time buyer grants restricted only to newly built, just to try and encourage that um, um, new, like more supply, which is what we need, right? So whether this is the best method of increasing supply by incentivizing people to, to buy new rather than existing, uh, I still, I think the jury's the jury's out on that. Mm. We're not too sure. I think the states are really uh, somewhat addicted to stamp duty revenue. I think it's the it's the golden chalice, right? Um, yeah. And one other state that's sort of tinkering around, around the edges is Queensland, and we have our uh, savings.com.au finance journal Harry O'Sullivan here to talk us through that they've doubled the first homeowner grant to thirty grand, and not everyone's happy. So mm. let's talk to Harry about that. Absolutely. 
Okay, so yeah, obviously Harry O'Sullivan has written this story uh, for Savings to Come to You. So Harry, uh, who joins us now, uh, do you want to just run us through the nuts and bolts of what's going on here? Yeah, cool. So the uh, first homeowner grant is available for Queenslanders who are buying a new property or like paying to, to build a new one. Um, it was $15,000 and as of Sunday, they just upped it to 30000 hmm. And yeah, that's pretty much any kind of new home you can think of. So they, they listed, you know, granny flat, um, unit, townhouse, duplex, whatever. Yeah, if it's if it's off the plan, a new, a new mm. build, you, um, the Palestine government will chip in, chip in that 30 grand. Mm -hmm. um, there's equivalent ones in other states, but with this obviously doubling, uh, Queensland is the joint highest with Tasmania. Mm. Um, in ta um, New South Wales and Victoria, the uh, equivalent grant is only 10,000. So yeah, it's mm. a big, yeah, oh, it, it's, just, it's hefty, yeah. But yeah, obviously there's there's a few people who aren't super over the moon about it. Mm. Yeah, uh -huh. for sure. It's, um yeah, so who are those people? And it's kind of going against the grain, right? A lot of property types yeah. are usually all for, you know, stimulus and because it's good for agents, good for buyers agents and, and like good for property business in general, but not everyone's happy. Yeah, so um, we obviously, the friend of the show, Simon Presley, he, he was one who wasn't, bananas about it and he was saying that um yeah so uh, newly constructed properties are like t generally like two percent of the the market for someone who's looking to buy a home so realistically that aren't it's not a huge section of first home buyers who are actually going to be helped mm. his argument was that you know if this was really about helping pe more people into owning houses you just make that grant available for any house you wanted to mm. buy rather than newly mm. constructed ones it's like this probably maybe equally help is helpful to the construction industry as well as just yeah mm. as much well as it's supposed buyers. to be there to incentivize more yeah. people to buy new to, to yeah, really spur yeah, on sure. increased supply in the market so yeah i, I mean what's it going to do if, it, if it's available to to everyone uh buying new or existing property is is it it's just going to put up prices, prices further right yeah yeah but then, then there's some people that, that argue that this just puts up the price of newly established, uh, newly built properties by, by 30,000. Yeah, but it's also, I guess, it's, it's only first home buyers who will benefit from that. So prices mm. won't go up by an equivalent amount, I guess. Like mm. for first home buyers, they're still gonna be better off than they would have been without the grant. But you hear some people say, oh, as soon as the, the, the builder finds out they're first home buyers, they'll put up the house and land package by 30,000 because they know they're getting grand of 30,000. I mean, I don't think there's ever been any solid studies that actually prove the, the impact here. So it's a lot of uh, theory. And I think and this time around too, there's, um, there's a, like I was reading that there's a safeguard in place to um, what, the, what the property would cost now is what it has to be when the first homeowner enters the, the contract so they mm. can't just jack up prices okay. by 30 grand oh, or good. or you know or do whatever yeah. um but it's kind of a funny one because you know the, the reiq the real estate institute of queensland has come out hitting hitting out against it and usually they're all for the, these sort of policies but um they come out against it saying it's adding demand at a time there's like low supply anyway and there's not enough tradies and not enough supplies to actually build what's needed mm. um and they say too and they and, and i like personally i think it's a good point is um that the, st the state government's adding to inflationary pressures because all of a sudden there's 30 extra grand per, per you know, first home buyer, theoretically. Um, at the same time, the RBA is trying to reduce inflation by reducing demand. So um, kind of 
two two opposing forces I, I guess a bit of a funny one yeah that's a good point like it's I guess it's might not just be like thirty thousand dollars extra for first home buyers borrowing power like they kind of might buy the house they would have had anyway but now have an extra like 30 grand in their pocket mm. so yeah mm. I, I don't know that seems like a but there, there's, there's price caps for the, for the grant, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so it's do you 750 grand, yeah. 750,000. Yeah, and that's including the value of the land as well. Okay, yeah. all right. So, yeah, it, 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 yeah we're not talking about... So this will be, your house is probably more on the outskirts um, yeah. of, of the city or, or very, very small houses in the more inner city suburbs. That's actually fairly generous, I reckon. New. It's um, like the median house price i think for brisbane itself is just mm. over 800 so yeah. it's kind of is that houses is that, that including apartments i think it's just houses oh wow um, so okay. and for units too it's a lot cheaper so yep. you'd imagine there'd be a lot more units and townhouses available under mm. that threshold and yeah a few kind of houses in brisbane and then in the regions too like if you're buying in townsville or 100%, you know, yeah. blackwater or something like mm. I'm, I'm assuming outside of brisbane and the gold coast 750 grand would probably actually get you Okay, pretty decent yeah. property, yeah. Um, but I, I mean, they say it's restricted to you know, newly built properties only, but I, I think I have seen that um, substantially renovated properties are yeah. also eligible. Yeah. yeah, I did see that, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And then granny flats too, right? Like you can build a granny yeah. flat out, out the back of your parents' property and mm. boom, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> what about tiny homes? Yeah, tiny homes, we love those. <laughs> Obviously a, a pretty big news. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'd describe it as good news for first-time buyers because there are a lot of first-time buyers that are opposed to this sort of thing because they just think um, it's just going to result in more competition and drive mm. up prices further. But some first-time buyers, I'm sure, will be will be celebrating yeah. this news and will be pretty happy with it. So, um, Harry O'Sullivan, really appreciate your time going through the details of this one. Thanks, Thank you very much. Yeah, nice. Thank Thanks, you. Harry. Talk to you next and time. now for our fiscal focus chat, talking about the cost of raising kids. All right, Fiscal Focus Time brought to you as always by InfoChoice, your choice of information on Australian consumer finance. So this week, we're actually talking about the costs of having and raising kids uh, with Anna Krasina, who's the author of the new book, Kids Ain't Cheap. G'day, Anna. Welcome to the Savings Tip Jar. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us, Anna. So um, you, your book kind of detailed this in obviously more detail, but just broadly, um, what's the sort of overall cost of kids, say, raising them from birth to age 18 or whenever you kick them out of the home? Yeah, so there's not a lot of recent data, unfortunately, but the data says that if you have two kids, it's around $893,000. Wow. So around 450 k to raise one kid approximately. And that's just the cost of a kid, let alone all those other hidden costs that you might have as well. It's pretty incredible when you think about the you know, opportunity costs there. Like, what could you be spending that money on instead? Uh, if you, if you, you chose not to have kids, you know, you could be living in, in mansions and driving Lamborghinis and stuff. So <laughs> that's it's pretty scary when you put it like that. Um, Anna, what are, what are some of the, um, you know, the, the more surprising or unanticipated uh, costs? You know, we were saying off air before, um, you know, I'm actually having a kid uh in well it's supposed to be next month it's due um and yeah when i was scanning through the book there were a few things that even i hadn't thought of as well as someone who's quite involved with finance um so yeah what, what are some of the the more unanticipated costs of raising kids? yeah the op- 
the obvious costs are, you know, things like diapers, new furniture, um, school, and so forth. Th those are the obvious costs. But then there's a lot of hidden costs because if you have kids, you need to transport them to and from school and whatnot. So there's transportation costs. You're going to need more space potentially. So you might have to move into a bigger rental or a house that's going to cost you more money. Um, there's also electricity and energy costs that you're going to need because, you know, we got to keep them cool or warm depending on where in Australia you're living. And those are all just hidden costs that come um, with having a kid. But then there's additional costs that people don't often think of, especially if you're a parent planning on taking parental leave, which is predominantly women here in Australia. Um, there's the hidden cost of how that's going to affect your career, your earning capacity, and then your super as well. So women earn around $136,000 less in their super over their working lives. And they're around $150,000 thousand dollars below what is considered necessary for a comfortable retirement and women are more likely to end up in poverty or homeless as well and a huge part of that is because they do take on a lot of the child caring responsibilities so that's just another hidden cost when it comes to your financial planning and Anna, um, you, you kind of mentioned off air as well about the you know child care costs soaring child care costs and lack of support there um, you know how much of a cost burden is it for families nowadays? And, um, you know, there's things like work from home, which may ease the burden a little bit, but it only seems like prices are going up. So what? how can families mitigate this cost um, and what can be done at a more, um, I guess, policy level to um, make it cheaper for, for parents who are expecting? Yeah, um, childcare costs or early childhood education and care is around 100 to $200 a day. There's a subsidy that goes towards that as well. But it really depends on a lot of things, such as your earning capacity, how many hours your childcare um, is open for, um, and, and so forth. And so this is a very kind of complex system already. And there's a lot of organizations that are trying to change the policy around this. How do we make it more affordable? And a big part of that is how do we subsidize, subsidize parents who have children in early childhood education? Because the thing is, if we can support parents, then more people will be in the workforce. There, um, There's more support for those parents going back, especially women who are taking time off and so forth. So the way that people can kind of think about it is looking at the cost of early childhood um, education as a holistic cost for the family and seeing what days you could go back at work. Because for a lot of people, they can't justify going back to work because all of the money that they'd be making from their job would go straight to childcare costs. But if you're thinking about also getting your super, getting ahead in your career and um, your earning capacity, it might be worth it. So there's a lot of numbers that need to be budgeted for that cost as well. And tell us a little bit more about yourself and um, whether there was anything in particular that inspired you to write this book. Yeah, for me, um, uh, during parental leave of my second kid, I realized that I wasn't eligible for paid parental leave and for the childcare subsidy. And it was because I decided to sell some shares to purchase, um, to help us purchase a new house because it was uh, in, in the middle of COVID. And I, even though I was trying to plan and do all these things financially correct, what ended up happening was I was ineligible for that subsidy. And I realized that there are all these weird and hidden rules that if if you're not across all of the policies and everything in place, you might be thinking you're making the best decisions for your family, but in fact, they might be impacting you, which is what led me to be like, I need to write this down. Other people need to have ideas around this so that they can plan better for the biggest uh, transition in their life, right? You are learn earning less 
but spending more because you now have a new person you have to look after. And that was a huge reason why I wanted to write this book along with some of the mistakes that I found, but then talking to other families and how they navigated finances in their own lives. Certainly going to be a book for Dom to pay attention to in the next sort of month or two. <laughs> um, yeah. Speaking of that, uh, it, it's to your point there, it kind of seems like there's a bit of a a, a gap in, you know, like there's people who are earning low incomes who receive, you know, the lion's share of welfare. There's people who are on really high incomes that can afford to pay childcare and all the private school fees and, and whatever. But there's a kind of like missing middle where people's needs aren't really addressed. And this kind of feeds into my next question. So it's more of a psychological one. But how do you avoid the sort of keeping up with the Joneses effects mentality in parent land? It seems like it's rife, you know, anywhere from the best stroller, you know, you need to spend $2,000 on a, on a pram, uh, clothes, private school fees. How do you avoid that? Because it can become a bit of a sort of um, cost spiral, I guess. It's a hard thing to do. There's a whole chapter in the book that talks about parental money mindset. And a big part of that is values, trying to sit down, think about how you were raised. What do you value when it comes to money? And what do you value for your own family? It's it's easy to get caught up in taking sensory classes and taking your kids to swimming and dance and soccer and so forth. But the real thing is, as a parent, you need to think about what do you value and what's most important to you? Because paying for school fees and private school fees might be something you really value, or you might be someone who wants to do you know, camping trips with your family and spending money on, and time on that you might value more. So it's really important for you as a parent to sit down and think about what do you value for your family and try to, you know, put blinders on when your neighbors are, you know, installing a pool. I don't know. That's a very extreme example of spending money. But nonetheless, um, trying to really think about what's important for your family as opposed to getting caught up in all the activities and extracurricular things your child can do. Nana, just another question about mindset. Um, you said in the book how, you know, when you're in your 20s, you weren't really thinking at all about, about having kids. And then when you hit your 30s, you, you suddenly had that mindset change where uh, you, you decided you really wanted to have kids. Um, I wonder, this must happen to a lot of people. And do you think it really hampers their preparation, maybe setting themselves up financially to be in a position to, to have kids when it is so sudden, that change? Yeah, well, a lot of people don't expect to fall pregnant. Um, that is a thing that that it's a surprise. And if you're not prepared, it might be a hard thing to navigate. Whereas others are um, do want to plan, but then there are other hidden costs like fertility costs that they didn't account for. So I think holistically, if we can set ourselves up to be in a better financial situation as individuals, it'll be easier for us to then plan for our, our families as well. But if you can't do that, there are little things that you can do to try to reduce your expenses and save as much money as you potentially can. Because once kids come into the picture, things do get much more expensive. It's harder to save. It's harder to invest. It's harder to put money aside. So if you can plan as much as possible ahead of time, that's probably the best way. It's easy to plan these things, but sometimes life throws you a curveball. Um, but we'll talk more now about a kind of more philosophical debate around the falling birth rate. Um, why aren't people having so many kids anymore, um, you know, with governments having to like essentially import people to keep up the, the kind of growth? Um, and what, what ramifications does that have for society slash the economy? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. As we've seen birth rates kind of drop, a huge part of that is cost. Kids are really expensive, and we especially see that in early education costs. That's the biggest hit that families usually experience because it's a little bit more dispersed afterwards. So there are policies that could kind of come into play to make it better. There's also... Um, 
the questions around uh, climate issues and people wanting to be more environmental when it comes to choosing to have children. And we have to kind of think as a society of what do we actually value as well, right? If we value increasing our birth rate or keeping it at a certain level, then the government's going to have to put money in places where they're going to support parents who want to have kids. Otherwise, it's going to be um, continue to fall. And, you know, the government's going to have to make new decisions. Yeah, it's definitely uh, a major challenge for a lot of that. A lot of um, you know Western countries are facing at the moment with those falling birth rates. Um, mm-hmm. I know this has been a very insightful discussion. Really appreciated your time running through all this. Obviously, for me personally as well, um, there's a lot of things for me to learn in this space too. So, uh, thank you so much for for your time on the Savings Tip Job podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Anna. And thanks to our guests for today. So Anna Christina on her insights on on how much it costs to raise a child and to our uh, special guest finance journalist extraordinaire Harry O'Sullivan for his insights on the new doubled uh, first homeowner grant coming out of Queensland. So uh, some great insights there this week. And if you like this podcast like I did this week, uh, feel free to give us a thumbs up, rate, review, subscribe. It goes a long way. Um, And if you have any thoughts or feedback or, you know, just want to get in touch and uh, suggest some baby names for Dom, uh, you can reach out to us at inquiries at savings.com.au. That's inquiries with an E. Once again, thanks for listening and we'll catch you again next week. Bye.